It's time now for The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. And so we speak of being wholehearted disciples. It's coming to God with all of our brokenness, with all of our woundedness. Men and women, it's getting up in the morning each day and saying, I am enough because Christ is enough. I am worthy because Christ is worthy. I am forgiven because Christ is forgiven. I can be strong today because Christ is strong through me today. Welcome to another edition of The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. Steve is the head pastor of The Road in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's our vision to make wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ and to see you grow in the grace and knowledge of His love. If you're in the area, we welcome you to come out and join us for our Saturday night service beginning at 6 p.m. We meet at Chapel Hills Church located at 2025 Parliament Drive, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80920. On this edition of The Road, Pastor Steve will be sharing about the vision of the church and what The Road is all about. He'll be discussing all of the exciting things that's going on at the church. We trust that you'll find this message very informative and insightful as you seek to find out more about the ministry of The Road. Here now with today's message is Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. So why The Road? I want to talk about, before we get into the book of Joel and the book of Revelation, which are coming up, I want to look at this question of why the road. There's about 250 churches, I believe, in Colorado Springs. Why another church? And I want to take you back a little. I'm going to give you a little bit of history. Some of you guys know this story. Some of you don't. But... Um, I'm going to take you back a little bit in my history to understand a little bit about how we ended up in Colorado Springs. I met my wife Liz in China. Now she is from California and I'm from Georgia, so the only place we could meet was China. And then I was a gymnast at Georgia and she was a sorority girl at UCLA, so the only way we could meet is smuggling Bibles into China. And we, uh, we fell in love in China, or I should say, if, it's, if love at first sight, I think it was more on my side. I don't think she felt that way. I'm pretty sure she would say that I seemed a little bit strange, and I did act a little bit strange. So we met in China. We had our first date in Hong Kong. We fell in love in L.A., and we got married in Tokyo. And then our first two kids were in Japan. We were in Okinawa. We had been in Japan about eight years and God began to work in my heart a passion for the local church. So before that, both at the University of Georgia and then at UCLA for Liz, um, we had been working with college students, uh, starting Bible studies, discipleship groups, things like that. Then in Japan, we did the same thing on the university campus, first in Tokyo and then on three campuses that we started ministries on in Okinawa. But as I began to look at the fruit or the lack thereof of aspects of our ministry, I began to realize that so much of those who really grew in their faith among the Japanese were those who got involved in a local church. Not just the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, which we were a part of, but also got involved in a local fellowship. And I began to see the power of the local fellowship. And so I just had this this kind of birthing, and probably some of you have experienced this, maybe even in, in how God led you to the jobs you're doing and stuff like that, but there was this new birthing in me 
for a love that I'd never had before, and that was for the local church. So we began to pray, God, what are you doing? Are you wanting us to stay in Japan and maybe plant a church or do something like that? And then Liz had a dream. And in the dream, she was in a room with a large window, and there was these snow-capped mountains, and then there was a rodeo in the backyard. And in the dream, there was a, there was a group of women. It was like a Bible study, all different ages. And the Lord said in the dream, I'm taking you there. I'm sending you there. And then she woke up. So she wakes me up at 3 a.m. in the morning and tells me the dream. And I'm like, you woke me up for that? And she said, yeah, that's God, God's speaking to us about what he's going to do next. And I, I said, that means nothing. Snow-capped mountain road, that's a dumb dream. So about six months later, we get a phone call from, see, he would have been in Colorado. So it was a call from Colorado, the Athletes in Action gymnastics team coach for the women's program. Back then, Athletes in Action had teams that were throughout the year. And I had trained um, in the 70s with the Athletes in Action gymnastics team in Fountain Valley, California. And I'd become real good friends with a guy named Dale Landon. And Dale was uh, Long Beach State. Um, All-American, and we had trained together. And he was now the coach for AIA, and he wanted to come to Okinawa and do, have R&R because they were going to go to Korea and China to do uh, trips in there where they do gymnastics meets and they share the gospel. So they come into Okinawa. I set up this retreat farm. We're sitting out on a veranda on this beach in Okinawa, and I'm just, I haven't seen Dale in years, and so I'm just trying to make conversation. And so I said, so Dale, um... What's it like in Colorado Springs? And he goes, oh, let's see. Well, if you were sitting in your house um, pretty much anywhere in the city and you had a large window and uh, you were looking out that window um, about, and you're looking west, about 80% of the year you see these snow-capped mountains called Pikes Peak. And then he thought for a moment and he said, oh, and also the Rodeo Hall of Fame is in Colorado Springs. And I just thought, well, that's interesting. But then Liz is like elbowing. She says, remember my dream? And I go, what dream? Because it's six months later. And I have about a memory of about three days. So that began this journey that over the next, the next three years, about 27 times God spoke to us to, to come to Colorado Springs. So in 1994, after graduate school, we came to Colorado Springs and we planted Mountain Springs Church. And so for 19 years, I pastored Mountain Springs Church. Then, about two years ago, about this time, two years ago, Liz goes on a personal retreat. And on this personal retreat, Robert Redford speaks to her. Robert Redford says to my wife, Take the road less traveled. Robert Redford said that. To clarify, she's in this time of the Lord. And in the process of that, she turned on the TV. And we normally don't turn on the TV whenever we're on a personal retreat. But she did in this case. And it was an interview by, I think it was CNN or MSNBC, with Robert Redford about his life. And he mentioned that he had taken the road less traveled. Then the next day, God spoke another way, the, word, the phrase, the road less traveled. And then the next day, the road less traveled. 
And over the next four months, we heard the road less traveled seven times. The best one was the last one when we're in Palm Desert. So we're in Palm Desert and we're with H.B. London. Some of you may know H.B. He was VP, Vice President, Pastoral Ministries for folks in the family, cousin of Dr. Dobson. And we're real close and he's always been a mentor of mine. He's an overseer for the road, um, for you that don't know that. So we're out there seeing him and Bev and spending a week with them. And we're talking about the future. And I haven't resigned yet from Mountain Springs But for the first time, I'm kind of thinking, you know, what is God doing? This is just so bizarre, this stuff. And so I just share with him. I said, you know, HB, I haven't shared this with many people, but um, we've gotten this word, the road less traveled, six times. And um, we explain kind of each one. And he gets this kind of deer in the headlights look. And uh, you got to remember, he's Nazarene. So he's not Pentecostal. And And he looks at him and he goes, Oh my goodness. Oh my. And I said, what? And he he opens up his bag and he pulls out the Robert Frost poem, The Road Not Taken, and says, I'm sharing that tomorrow at church. And I just happened to have it with me. And so over the next few weeks, God spoke to us for me to resign that he had something else for us to do. Would not have been my choice. So some of you are a part of this, but we went into 40 nights of prayer. And so we gathered together first at every home for Christ. How many were a part of that? Okay, a lot of you. And we gathered and um, you guys remember how we just struggled to know what God was saying. And we began to just read from and study from the, the gospel of Mark. And God began to speak over those 40 nights of prayer about what he had for the future And that birthed what I want to call God's magnum opus. God's magnum, what is God's magnum opus? What do you think God's magnum opus is? I believe, first of all, it's you. It's every one of you in this room. You're God's magnum opus. You're created in the image of God. But then he draws us together into a thing called the church. How many of you have had a love-hate relationship with the local church? (laughs) I know I have, even as a pastor of one. And I want to call it God's magnum opus. So turn in your Bible to Matthew 16 again that we just read from. Matthew 16, I believe Jesus is describing his magnum opus. In other words, in creating each one of you as his... As his opus, let me give you a definition of that word. You might be thinking, what is he talking about? Oftentimes, an opus is a musical composition or a set of compositions by a composer. But I like the second definition given in Webster's. Any artistic work, work of art or creative work. Now, I'm looking around this room, and you are all kinds of different sizes and colors And looks because you're each God's magnum opus. And God has created each one of you unique and beautiful. And each one of you are called to be wholehearted. Each one of you are called to to find who you are in Christ. Discover the creative composition that make up your talents. 
and your unique spiritual gifts. And that's the church. That's the church. So, so in, in asking Peter about this question of who do people say that I am, Jesus doesn't leave it just with his identity. Look at verse 18. He says, I will build my church. That's his magnum opus, his, his greatest work. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We just finished a whole series through the summer and into the fall called War. On spiritual warfare. We talked about binding and loosening. And uh, this past week we were at someone's house. Because they're having demonic activity in that house. And we bound, I believe, several demons, if not more, over that house. The week before, we were at someone's house. And we had to bind and loose. You've been given, men and women, listen. You've been given anointing and power as a church to bind and loose. There is a power and a grace given to us as believers by virtue of us being gathered here tonight. Oh my, if, if the body of Christ could only understand the incredible power and anointing that is yours by virtue of gathering together as a church. We're going to take communion here tonight. We do it every, every week. And there's power in communion. When we study 1 Corinthians 11, it even speaks of those that have, that have taken communion in the wrong way. And it says some of them are even sick. And some have even died. That's the power of communion. The power of the sacraments, you guys. If we could grasp the anointing of the Spirit upon the local church. To save our families. To save our country. And to save our city. It'd be remarkable. And so the road was established with this vision. This is the vision God gave us as, as the magnum opus of what he wanted us to do. And as building wholehearted Jesus disciples. Building wholehearted disciples of Jesus. Now, I'm going to break that down in a few minutes. But I want to do a quick illustration. And I'm going to ask. Um, I'm trying to remember who I asked to do different things. But I'm going to ask you, Sherry, to come up here first. Now. This is a number two pencil. That's all it is. It's nothing more and it's nothing less. And this represents an individual believer. An individual believer. So I have asked a woman. Yes, a University of Texas former gymnast. So you're not just any woman. You're, you're like in the club, right? Okay. But can you break this? Ooh, baby, look at that. No problem. That, men and women, is where most Christians are today. Easily broken. Easily broken in the hands of the enemy. Okay, so, gosh, it's got to be better when you get married. And we still, you still only marry one person in our country. I don't know if that's going to change in the years to come. But uh, if, if there's no former Mormons or current Mormons, then probably two. Um, and you're not from Utah. On, t on the TV show. So who did I say could break to? All right, Rex, come on up. So this is a marriage. 
So that was easily broken. Let's see how two do. Again, number two pencils. Nothing strange about it. Way to go, Rex. Ooh, baby. Nice. All right. So where are most of our marriages today, even among believers? Not so good. So two is easily broken by the enemy. So Denny, Denny, where are you? So this is a family. This is a Christian family. We've got five of them. Okay, a little pressure there, bro. Don't, don't let me down. <laughs> don't let me down. Ooh, nice. All right, broke five. So we see what we're seeing in our culture today is we're seeing uh, individuals being broken. We're seeing, uh, we're seeing couples being broken, and we're seeing families destroyed because of the power of the enemy. So now I have about a dozen so I'm going to ask, is it Lee? Did I, were you the one I invited to do that? You're doing the last one? Okay. How about you, Louie? You come on up. I am going to use you. <laughs> so there's a dozen here. Let's see if you can break that. Nope, can't do that. You got to just do it this way. Nope. No break. Okay. And then Lee, this is about 75. So... <laughs> uh, Lee, for, former dentist here. Let's see. Yeah. You can't bite it. Okay. No, can't do it. All right. Oh, my. That's okay. That's about the church is supposed to gather and scatter. Right? Guys, we need each other. We're not doing so well in our individualistic Christianity. We're not doing so well even in our families and our marriages without each other. And so God gave us this vision. Our magnum opus to build wholehearted disciples. To be a disciple is to be in community. It's to be in relationship. It's to, it's to have each other. And so we need each other. And, and there is, a, there is a, a concerted attack by the enemy on the church. And so many today are not able to hang on. Especially men. 60, the, the average church is 65% women. I love women. I'm married to women. I think women are beautiful. But God, in his economy, chose to build leadership primarily through men. I mean, Jesus had no trouble breaking up culture and traditional values as it related to the Israelite nation, and he chose 12 men to be his disciples. And so the enemy is after men. He wants to take out men. He wants to take out you women too. But he's primarily focused on men and, he's, and it's working. Because we're not relational. In most of the things that we do, we tend to be driven toward a product or toward success or toward our, our, our jobs and, and all that we do in relation to that. And we're not typically relational. It's interesting, five out of six men in the U.S. call themselves Christians. But two out of six go to, the church, go to church. And three out of four married women attend church alone. So you women that are here with your man, you are so blessed. And you here, the women here that are here without your man, that's why we're here. 
is I pray that as the years go by, we might become more and more effective at reaching men. And so as we started the road, we felt at the foundation that we wanted to build disciples and we wanted to start with men. So we have a ministry called Worshipper and Warrior and we had our first retreat called the Whole Heart Advance in September. And then we had the Armory a couple weeks ago. And our desire at the road is to build solid men. And it's not easy, but it's crucial and wholehearted, wholehearted men. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, again to Mark 12. Look at Mark 12. Mark 12, 28. Then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus challenges us to a wholehearted devotion to him. And men and women, when we talk about being wholehearted disciples, it may not be what we think. It doesn't just mean all in, fully committed. It actually means being vulnerable with our heart and letting God have everything within us, wholeheartedness. You guys have heard me quote Brene Brown a lot. And she's kind of one who I think expresses better than anyone else this idea of finding healing in our heart through wholeheartedness. And so when we speak of being wholehearted disciples, it's coming to God with all of our brokenness, with all of our woundedness. Men and women, it's getting up in the morning each day and saying, I am enough because Christ is enough. I am worthy because Christ is worthy. I am forgiven because Christ is forgiven. I can be strong today because Christ is strong through me today. And I am beloved because I'm created in the image of God. And I have what it takes. And I am beautiful because Christ is beautiful. And he's given me a new heart. Isaiah says, church, you've been given a new heart and a new spirit. We've been taught for years that our heart is sinful. And we can't trust our heart. I want to say something different. I want to say that we can trust our heart. And our heart is good in Christ. Because the scriptures say we've been given a new heart. We have a good heart. Each one of you have a good heart. And that heart through the power of the Holy Spirit can love. That heart can forgive. We've been given a new mind. A new mind. We've been given the mind of Christ. Guys, we can think differently. We can can look at life differently. We can look at our spouse differently. We can look at our dating life differently. We can look with all of the failures of the past into our future in a different way because we have a new heart, a new spirit, and a new mind 
in Christ. That's what wholehearted means. And then we can come to the end of the day and we can say, I failed today. And I tried to love today and I blew it today. And I said too much in this situation. And I got stomped on in that situation. But I'm still beloved. And I'm still loved. And you know what? I'm brave. And I'm courageous. And I'll be brave and courageous tomorrow. Because courage and bravery, listen, is failing. You have to dare to fail. To truly find wholeheartedness. And it's the person who has the wholehearted love for God that's going to fail the most. You will be broken, but you will not give up. And so one of the great quotes that I have in my office by Theodore Roosevelt in a speech he gave April 23rd, 1910 in Paris. This is an excerpt from it. It is not the critic who counts Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, Because there's no effort without error and shortcoming. And who does actually strive to do the deeds. Who knows the great enthusiasms. The great devotions. Who spends himself in a worthy cause. Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement. And who at the worst if he fails. At least fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Pixar, which was the company that Steve Jobs purchased from George Lucas after being fired from Apple. Guess what he bought it for? You may want to guess. He bought Pixar for $5 million. He sold it later. I believe it was 500 and, was it, what was it? 700,000 million? Seven million? Seven billion. So how would you like that kind of return? So five million to seven billion. He made all his money on Pixar, not Apple. A lot of people don't know that. Pixar, it's interesting. They have a way of developing what, what they would call storytelling, storybooking, For all of their animated features. So they did this for Toy Story 1. Toy Story 2. um, And all the different movies that they've done. And the first. the Act 1. Is the adventure. In which the protagonist decides to enter into the adventure. Act 2. Is where there's a dilemma. Some kind of a dilemma. Where all the resources of the protagonist. Aren't going to cut it. For the problem that he's going to face. Or she's going to face. And then Acts 3, Act 3 is when the protagonist decides they are going to enter in, they're all in, they dive in, and they have a solution. That's the Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 that Pixar uses. Brene Brown says something interesting in one of her books. And I think this is really true of the Christian church. 
We like Act 1. And we like Act 3. But we don't like Act 2. Right? And so when you hear a testimony, you're always waiting for Act 3. So you hear the person share, and they go, oh, man, I was into drugs, and I beat up everybody, and 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 whatever it is. And then Jesus came, and he saved me, and I've, I've never beat anybody up since then. We jump from Act 1 to Act 2 to Act 3, skipping really quickly through Act 2. But it's interesting what Theodore Roosevelt says here. Because I like this quote, don't you? It's a cool quote because it gets to this idea of valiance and the magnificent victory that we can have and daring greatly is a good word here and great devotions is another word here. Spends himself in a worthy cause. But he says this, like the second sentence down, he says this, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, okay, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, stop. Church, that's where you learn your greatest lessons, is in the arena, face down and broken. And when we talk about wholehearted at the road, I want us to grow in that. I want us to grow in the vulnerability of our heart to, that it's okay to be broken, that it's okay to go through hard times. And to let God in there. Because it's very, very difficult in our lives. The group that I am the most fascinated by, and I believe the enemy besides men is attacking the most, is our children. Our little, little children. That's why most of your radical Uh, I would call them sort of the radical, whether it be anarchists or social radicals or politicians are going after the education of our children. I want you to look at a pie diagram. Do we have that? This is the age groupings of when people get saved, when they come to know Christ. And I'm willing to say that about 90% of the resources are going for about... 4%, 14% 4%, 14% of the population. If you'll note there that those that are of the ages of 30 plus, only 4% get saved if they haven't gotten saved before that. Between the ages of 15 and 30, 10% of the people get saved. But look at kids. Between the ages of 4 and 14, 85% is where people get saved. How many of you came to know Christ in that age bracket between 4 and 14? Speaks for itself. But we love our children at the road. We just say, I heard a story of a little girl um, just this week who's been struggling with something in her life. And God spoke to her and she told us what he said to her. And the Lord said, be a warrior. Never stop fighting. Those aren't even words that this girl would use. So she felt like she heard from the Lord. Another little eight-year-old boy led his his neighbor to the Lord recently who comes out of an atheistic family. Another little girl recently had a dream from the Lord that she'd be a missionary in a foreign land. She came up in the lobby a couple months ago to tell me that. 
Men and women, God is moving on our kids. Some Saturday nights, we've got as many as 50 kids in Next Gen. Um, and I think about 20 kids in Next Gen Junior. And so it's really, really growing and having a significant impact. And um, Amanda Steyer, who is Ryan Steyer's wife, Ryan's our associate pastor, she wanted you to hear this testimony from her. So she recorded it for us. Hi, this is Amanda Steyer. I just wanted to tell you guys a little story about the last time I was a volunteer at Next Gen Junior. It was a few weeks ago, and I, on my way to church, I found myself feeling a little bummed that I wasn't going to be able to sit in the main service and uh, hear Pastor Steve. Um, But I, and then I had another idea that came to my mind where I thought, you know what, I'm going to see if maybe next time I volunteer, I could have my friends who are also possibly volunteering um, work with me the same night, and that way it's fun for me. <laughs> so I had this, you know, in, in that moment, this brilliant idea to, to make this more enjoyable for myself. Well, God had other plans, and so really quick, I I went to... A volunteer, I was so thrilled to be able to be in there with my daughter. It really was fun. But what surprised me and humbled me was I got to meet a few new people that I knew. Um, one person I didn't know. Um, the other couple people I knew, um, I would consider them acquaintances. And didn't really know any of their story. But while we were all playing with the kids, I got to hear some really neat stories from these other people that I worked with. And I felt like it was such a unique opportunity to both serve together, pray together, and get to know each other better. And I walked away so humbled by God and so grateful to have had that experience and really just told the Lord, I look forward to when I get to serve in there because I felt like I got to be around these little ones, um, find out what my daughter's learning, and... Um, also grow closer to other people at the road. So it was a really good experience, and I encourage you all to try this out. Get in the cycle of working every, it really only is once every few months, and um, if we're all volunteering, it it makes it pretty low committal, but when you do it, I think you'll find you're pretty blessed. Thanks. How many of you you served Next Gen or Next Gen Junior? Would you stand? Just stand up. If you served in Next Gen or Next Gen Junior. All right. I want to say thank you to all of you guys. Um, Hold up your bookmark again. Does everybody have a bookmark? Okay. There we go. Hold that up. That bookmark. We're all out. So I wanted to have more for you guys tonight, but we don't have it. This is the bread and butter of the core of discipleship. And that's called prayer Bible and journal, not peanut butter and jelly. So prayer, Bible, and journal. And so what we have is every day there's a reading in there that you can follow that we've, we've set up for you to work our way through the Bible. And if you don't have a journal, get one. And I was on the phone the other day with my son who plays baseball at University of Omaha. And he was sharing how powerful PB&J has been in his life, so I asked him to say something. So here's Isaac on PB&J. Hey, church family. Miss you guys. 
Thank you for praying for me, and I'm definitely praying for you. Um, some of you guys know I'm here at the University of Nebraska at Omaha uh, playing baseball here. And um, I wanted to share something that I've been applying to my life for the first time. And I know my dad calls it um, PB&J, Prayer, Bible, and Journal. Um, and I know I'm supposed to be the pastor's kid, but for most of my life I've never done that. I've never done Prayer, Bible, and Journal. I usually do just like, I'll pray and do my Bible when I have time, and then I'll run to practice, uh, run to workouts or whatever. Um, but this year, for the first time, I have um, really woken up early, a couple, a couple hours early, made sure I get my prayer, my Bible, and journal. And it has literally, um, it has changed my, really changed my life, my lifestyle too. Um, la last couple years, baseball has always gotten to me. I've always, uh, if I had a bad day, made an error, um, just didn't do well, it would stick with me and it would hold on to me for a couple, couple games or a couple practices and I wouldn't do well. Um, and something that, I, something that Prayer Bible and Journal has done for me is um, they helped me, like, help me forget um, my failures. Uh, so what I would do is before a scrimmage, before our games, before our practices, I would wake up early. I would, um, I would start with reading my Bible and um, whatever, whatever I'm in, read through that. Then I would take out my journal and I would just write down my thoughts my concerns, my, uh, my failures. Um, if I had a bad day with baseball, didn't hit well, didn't, um, didn't do well defensively, I would write that down and say, God, like, would you take this? Would you, um, I, can't, I can't control that today, but would you, um, would you help me through that? And I would just write it down, write it down, and then I would pray about it and say, God, would you, I would ask God to renew my mind and to give me a new perspective on the day. And it really changed the way I played baseball, the way I viewed life the way um, I talk to people. Um, it was one of the most powerful things that I could have done. Um, and I would challenge you guys to um, wake up early, uh, try and um, fit it into your day because it really will change your life. It's really hard for the first few times. It's really hard. But when you start doing it, you start to love it. Like I, I almost, I, I'm excited to wake up in the morning to just like, um, to pour my heart out to God and to, um, to let him kind of like shape my day. Usually it was me trying to trying to force it, but for the first time I feel like God is in my day. So I challenge you to do the same. I love you guys, miss you guys. Um, I'm praying for you and I ask that you pray for me. So this is like the journal I use. I use different journals, but this is similar to what I use. And so getting up in the morning, you've got a bookmark. In that bookmark, it shows you on that day, the Bible you know, the chapter you can be on. One chapter, just one chapter. Read that chapter and let God speak to you. Let God speak to you. And just keep doing it day after day. And sometimes we put you in really boring books. Okay? Unless you hear me speak on something like Ezekiel and flying saucers and stuff like that like a couple weeks ago. But I mean, Ezekiel is a weird book. I mean, I've been in Ezekiel and I've been digging Ezekiel, but I had to dig it by just digging in. But, but God then takes us through as a family and he disciples you, you guys, from his word. And then sometimes you get into like the gospel of John, it's really exciting. And so spending time, what you're doing is you're building momentum in your heart. You, you may not think about that, but the reality is, is you build momentum in your heart. 
If you've ever been driving down the road and had something happen like we did one time, we were going to California and we were on I-70 and I remember we came through, we just left the state of Colorado and we were in, in, in Utah and we're driving and suddenly I push down on the gas and there's nothing. I had just lost my, I didn't know it, but I'd lost my transmission and I had no gas. I couldn't put any more gas into the engine and so I coasted. But I was going 75 miles an hour at the time. And so it took a while for me to finally coast to the point where I came off the road. I wanted to get as far as I could to the next exit. Right? And so many of us in our Christian life are like that. We're not spending time in God's word. We're not regularly in God's word. But everything seems to be fine. Because we've got inertia. We've got that inertia from the time we spent before. But you're actually losing ground. You're losing momentum and you don't know it. And then you crash. Why? I mean, man, God doesn't love me anymore. No. God was always there. And he gave us PB and J. He gave us a way to grow. But we, had, we started counting on the inertia instead of having the gas to keep growing as we spent time in his word. Because does anybody know that God has fresh revelation for us every day? He's got stuff for us. And so as we spend time with him, he's discipling us. And that's why PB&J is so important in our body. Turning your Bibles to Ephesians 4, and I'm going to close with this. Ephesians 4, 11. I love this passage. I've actually never taught on it, except the one time I went through Ephesians. I, I taught it um, years ago, one time, but I have... I have just, there's just so much here. But I believe this is the essence often of, of what church is supposed to be like in our, in our bodies, and it's not many times. But I believe as we consider what God's called the road to be and to do as a training center, as an equipping center to be wholehearted disciples, look at what it says. Paul, talking about the church, verse 11 of chapter 4, he says this in Ephesians. He, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, I don't believe that's all-inclusive. I think those are offices of the church. There's many, many other spiritual gifts. But then he says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the purpose of pastors and teachers, the purpose of evangelists, the purpose of the prophetic gift is to equip the saints to be evangelists and to be pastors and teachers and to do the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Church, we are here as a body to grow into that perfect man, to grow into that place of being more and more Christ-like. We're a word and spirit church. We love God's word. So next week we start on the book of Joel. And then from Joel we go to the book of Revelation. We're going to teach the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. We are a word 
and spirit church. Someone said years ago, all word, no spirit, you dry up. All spirit, no word, you blow up. Word and spirit, you grow up. And so we want to grow together as a word and spirit body. And so, and so I believe that Christ has given us all the power of the Holy Spirit, that he still heals, that he still releases his power, but that it has to be grounded also in God's word. And through God's word, we, we walk in God's word, we, we obey God's word. We can't know all of the full counsel of God. Acts 20, when Paul was leaving the church at Ephesus, he knows he's going to go. He's going to go to Rome. He's probably going to die. It's the last time he's going to see them. He says, I gave you what? The whole counsel of God. Well, you can't have the whole counsel of God without the whole word of God. So I believe very strongly in expositional teaching. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Now, we had, a, we had a window here between books after we finished um, Mark where we went through spiritual warfare. Now, normally, we would do that in a seminar form. But because we're small and we're just growing, I felt like, man, let's, let's just all get it. So we decided to do it that way. But now we're going into Joel called the Last Days Church starting next week. And then we're going to go into the book of Revelation. Look at verse 15 of our passage. But speaking the truth in love, that you may grow up in all things unto him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, everyone working together causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so the tune of God's opus is what we call harmony. We don't make our kids do a lot in the household of the Holtz besides chores, but we do have one thing, is that every kid has to play the piano for a couple years. Now, some of our kids are really good on the piano. And Isaac, who you saw on the screen, was asked by his piano teacher to quit because he was so bad. But because of that situation, we hear the piano being played like all the time. And I'll tell you, the harmony and the beauty of someone who knows how to play the piano well is awesome. And the lack of harmony or the disharmony of someone who doesn't know how to play it very well is horrible. So we have a thing here at the road called a covenant of harmony. And this is a covenant of harmony by which we as members of the road say we're going to work stuff out according to the Bible. We're not going to just cut and run when things get tough. We're not going to talk behind people's backs, which is the American church way. But we're going to try to work stuff out as a family that needs each other so we won't be broken so easily. So we call it the covenant of harmony. And I've given a whole message on the covenant of harmony in the past. I'm not going to give it tonight because we need to get into worship and communion. But if I could have uh, Louie and Daniel stand up. If you've never seen the covenant of harmony, would you raise your hand? And they're going to hand that out to you so you can see what it is. Raise your hand if you've never seen the covenant of harmony. So we're going to get that out. And here at the road, 
we have all that are part of the road signed the covenant of harmony following what we believe. And you'll see in Matthew that covenant of harmony is just simply taking scripture and encouraging us to work stuff out. Here's what I've heard now in testimonies all through the past year and a half is how much it's actually helped other relationships outside of our church because people, especially couples who are married, are starting to work on stuff because they've looked at the passages and they've decided, I'm going to try to be one who is bringing bridges of love and agreement in all of my relationships. So why don't we hand those out? We've got some more over here. Daniel, I think there's some over here. Hopefully we have enough. So we're going into communion and worship now. As you look at that covenant of harmony, let me encourage you to take that home. Sign it. Your spouse can be a witness or someone else. And then bring that back next week. If you do indeed want to be a part of the road, you want to be a part of our our church, we all in this church have signed the covenant of harmony to work on stuff. And it's really working in our relationships. How many of you get hurt in relationships sometimes? Hello. Wouldn't it be great if we could learn to be wholehearted in those relationships? That's what the covenant of harmony is about, is learning to be wholehearted. You've been listening to The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. We pray that you've been blessed by the message today. Our hope is to make wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's why we teach the Word of God verse by verse, scripture by scripture, and precept upon precept. We're excited about all the things God is doing in the lives of our faithful listeners. We understand that there are many trials and tribulations in this world, and we'd love to be able to pray for you as you encounter difficult times. Please drop us a note and let us know how we can pray for you. Write us at The Road, P.O. Box 88485, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80908. If you've been blessed by this message, please let us know as well. Again, the address is The Road, P.O. Box 88485, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80908. If you're in the area, please stop on by and join us at The Road for our Saturday night service at 6 p.m. We meet at Chapel Hills Church, located at 2025 Parliament Drive, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80920. In addition, you can find out more about The Road by going to our website, at theroadcs.org. That's theroadcs.org. Make sure you follow us on Facebook as well. That's facebook.com slash theroadcs. If you tweet, you can join the conversation with us at Road Companions. As always, we covet your prayers. Thanks again for tuning in today. And be sure to catch us again next time for another edition of The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt.